Gifting is hard. This isn't news. But what might be news is that you can now send beer, wine, and spirits right to your friends and family with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Which is good news, because adult beverages are the only gift that no one ever returns. And Drizzly's tailored experience lets you find the perfect drink for the occasion, no matter what it is. You'll save time by shopping a huge selection of drinks from wherever you are. You'll save money by comparing prices on said drinks across stores. And you'll get to spend more time sipping with your gifties. You know, if they're the sharing type. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Hi, this is Elton John here. Throughout my US tour last year, we heard from thousands of fans that financial security and financial planning are hugely important to them. So important that David and I are continuing this vital conversation into 2023. Together with the Alliance for Lifetime Income, I'm spreading the word about the importance of protected income, which is money you're guaranteed to get. Like me, I'm sure you have big plans for your next chapter. Protected income from an annuity helps ensure you have all your bases covered so you can have the financial freedom to tick off your bucket list. The first step is to decide what's on your bucket list. Then meet with your financial advisor to ask if you have protected income and get their help making a plan that fits your unique financial goals. Join me and my friends at the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Together, we can help make financial freedom in retirement a reality for more Americans, starting with you. Go to protectedincome.org today. And welcome to today's episode of the Wolves Fancast. Richard Hobbs here. Uh, we're doing things slightly differently today uh, to preview the Liverpool game uh, happening on Sunday. I'm joined by Neil Atkinson uh, from the Anfield Wrap. Neil, how are you? I'm very well indeed. How are you? I'm good, cheers. I'm good. This is a bit of a um, turn of tables for us because I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've come on uh, the Anfield Wrap sort of quite a few times over the past sort of few years. Uh, since Wolves are doing all right. Uh, and this is the first time I've sort of got to play host with yourself. Uh, no, it's more than allowed. And, you know, it's always excellent to get supporters of other teams on because I think that we, you know, obviously a league needs 20 teams, but finding out what other clubs do well uh, or do badly or where they just sort of are mentally, I think is, you know, it really helps your understanding. It, makes, it helps my enjoyment of the matches, to be quite honest with you, over weekend, uh, Rich. I think that, you know, if you've got a real sense, even if you're not playing them directly, you know, if you've got a real sense of where Wolves are or what Southampton are up to and then you watch the game, you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, someone pointed out to me we had a weakness at right back or something like that and it's quite nice yeah and i think uh, uh sort of similarly like, i always find it interesting to sort of see what you know the viewers from the outside looking in on your club as well because you know you get it's very easy to get caught in a bit of an echo chamber um, of your own club a lot of the time and it's always fascinating to see you know particularly the players who can be a bit marmite internally yeah. um you know ha- however however um however fans sort of see them yeah, I think that that's I think that, that that that's a positive. The other thing I always think, and and one of the reasons why I do like keeping an eye on Wolves is the thing I'm always looking for is the clubs who look like they're really enjoying themselves. 
and whether or not you know you've got where you're different fan cultures for different parts of the country you know for me i think you'll struggle um to find a supporter base that's really enjoyed itself across the last four or five years as much as wolverhampton wanderers um i love going to molyneux um i love the atmosphere at molyneux uh obviously we've been helped with a couple of good results there in the league last couple of seasons and it's worth saying that but it felt like like both of those wins last two seasons against molyneux felt like genuinely like slaying a dragon like beating an end of level boss and part of that was the atmosphere they were night games the weather was intense everything about them was intense but also the fact is that we'll Wolverhampton Wanderers supporters are having a great time. Uh, I thought last season in the league, sorry, in the Europa League, I loved that Wolves took it deadly seriously and genuinely, and the supporters did as well. They didn't treat it as something that was inconvenient, that got in the way of domestic football. It was firstly, how do we enjoy this as much as possible, getting to go to all these places? And then secondly, how do we win this competition? And in the end, that doesn't happen for Wolves. But, you know, I think that it might have been a different story if that hadn't been the lockdown in there. Uh, it felt like to me like a side that was on the march to an extent in Europe. And all of that, I just think, reflects really well of, of the club and where it is at the minute but also you know to the to the rest of the league I think that Wolves are a bit of a model to follow for a lot of clubs in the country and I think that the sheer enjoyment that they get game to game as I say both as a team as a club and also as a supporter base I just think it's marvellous Yeah I think that the, the club have made sort of huge strides under under a new ownership and a lot of that and I, I've spoken with you before you know my sort of thoughts you know football's about creating memories yep. it's you know it's great football's finished seventh two seasons in a row but you know, apart apart from us, no, no one remembers the team who finishes seventh. You know, you you it, you know what what fans will remember is the, the trips to Braga and Espanyol, um, and you know getting to a semi final of the FA Cup and things like that. And all those little things, we all seem to have really tried to maximise on in terms of those experiences. And you say sort of the, uh, it was when we were still in the Championship, I think, and we, the owners or the marketing team they sort of set off fireworks and have the big fires as the players came out yeah. and uh, when it first happened you know there was a bit of piss take about it and it was a bit you know it's a, you know a little bit big time for when you're not really there but then as soon as we're in the premier league and you're playing a night game against a high level opposition it doesn't half boost up the atmosphere and things like that and it's like it's a makes it a real experience at that point and you know I, 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 me and a couple of the other guys from the fan cast we sit on um, a fan experience working group for the club because they oh, yeah. genuinely they're really keen to actually sort of see well you know how, how can we make sure we're doing things right for right for the fans so you know they they know there's, there's backing from the owners they're, but they're crucially aware as as with probably most clubs to be fair there's some things that need to come from the club and there's some things that need to come from fans so um actually this kind of means i can sort of do this sort of before it starts um that uh, there's currently a just giving page set up that the fan that it's very much been fan driven by this working group uh, to create a banner going all across the um, Steve Ball stand, um, sort of a, a get well soon message for Raul Jimenez. Um, it was set up last night. The target was for sort of seven and a half thousand pounds to get this banner sort of produced. It's currently on about fourteen thousand pounds. Um, I, I think it's been live for what is about fourteen hours now. It's really great that sort of first talk beforehand. Well, 
anything extra left over we can just donate to charity sort of whatever either sort of one relating to Jimenez um, or you know maybe like the Jeff Astor one in terms of sort of head trauma and the fact that it's almost that the cost has almost been matched now um, is fantastic and you know I'll make sure that um, I guess for fancast listeners that will be in the, the link in the description for this one uh, for this episode um, I guess sort of moving on to Liverpool it's been interesting from the outside looking in um, to Liverpool start of the season because you're joint top of the league on points at the moment and apart from the Villa game it's felt almost business as usual in terms of results but they all, there's still like a different feeling around this Liverpool team this season and uh, an air of the, the invincibility that you had last season seems to have dissipated a little bit. Um, how, how do you find sort of the season's gone? Yeah, I think that's really fair. I think if you get beat 7-2 you got on, on primetime television, you're going to look a lot less invincible uh, and it's worth bearing that in mind. I think in general we've dropped it. it. You know, we've had a normal good start to the season. We won 26 out of the first 27 last season and I still don't think in general the scope and scale of that achievement has been properly put into the context of English football history. You yeah. know, it's, that's the best start any team's ever had in the modern era in a big five league in Europe. Uh, you know, no one had been better up to that point. No one had been better up to 25 games, up to 26, up to 27. And it's an astonishing thing that they did uh, at that stage of the season last season. So obviously you can't, you're not going to be able to continue with that. And I think part of the challenge of this season, regardless really, was going to be managing the idea of, well, how do you challenge and hopefully win the title if you're just going to get 94 points and you're not going to get 99 or you're not going to be 26 wins out of 27. Uh, And that is, you know, that sort of still where we are and we're still trying to make sense of that. We've also had a really tough start. You mentioned Villa Park. We've also gone to Goodison. We've gone to Stanford. For Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, we've had game. We've gone to the Etihad, and we've had games against. Um, we've had games against Arsenal at home. Uh, we've got Wolves coming as well. We've had West Ham, uh, which when you write the games down at the start of the season might not look that tough, but currently looks like a tough game. We've had Leeds. Um, mm-hmm. So what we haven't, you know, we of the sides who are likely to be um, around sort of. Uh, 14th down we've only played Brighton and that was a difficult game and I think we all think Brighton are a slightly better side than the league position suggests um, and on top of that we've had Sheffield United we haven't had any any of those other sides yet either so we're all right um, the flip side though has been the physical toll on the players between the Champions League games and the league games I think in general there was the possibility Liverpool might have had a bit of a physical dip this season under normal circumstances anyway because they've been so primed for two or three years to play a certain level of intensity that you can't keep going to that well. But Liverpool are in the midst of a full-blown, and I mean a full-blown injury crisis, um, the sort that you know is the stuff of, of, of nightmares uh, from a managerial point of view. Um, so to be where we are, is really, really good, but obviously it would only take three, four weeks of, of, of relatively poor results and the picture would look a lot worse. Whereas at this stage last season, when we were eight, nine, ten points clear already, we'd have been able to say, well, if we have three or four bad results, we'll still be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I think I think you're completely right in terms of, um, I guess, the fixes that you have and haven't played. And, you know, it, it reminds me of um, something that, Alex Ferguson used to kind of go on about in terms of split up the table in half, work out roughly where people are going to finish, beat the bottom half, eat home and away. Because as soon as you've done that, they say that that's 20 wins. Yes, 60 points. Yep. And 
if you've not actually played a huge amount of those teams, it, it gets difficult and you lose momentum. You know, look at teams like Sheffield United who just haven't got started this season. And, you know, you, the injury crisis, you, you're quite right. I mean, say full-blown, you, say, you know, without star goalkeeper, star defender, your next sort of defender, your latest midfielder. Um, and it, I find it interesting because it does draw a lot of parallels to when Klopp won the title at Dortmund. And, you know, the, the hell for leather, Gergen press style of football is great to watch, but there is a probably a fairly direct correlation between that style of play and injuries. And to be fair, I, I say that knowing, you know, Van Dijk's injury had nothing to do with, um, you know, having to sort of, yeah. um, you know, run the extra 110%. Um, but, you know, I, I can sort of see it very much mirrors walls, interestingly, that um, I, I've said sort of over the last few years that Wolves sports science team is probably, one, you know, the best kept secret in the country. In fact, that we're playing so many games and had very few injuries. And then all of a sudden, we just had a, those couple of players. Bolly got a fractured fibula in training. Johnny's been out for six months now. Jimenez, again, it's sort of a completely sort of different scale, but there's been a sort of a lot more of those niggly injuries. What what I think does you in is it's more on what's done us in. So Van Dijk and Gomez are a really good example. Gomez gets injured on, on England duty, but we'd had to work him really hard and the reason mm. why we had to work him really hard was that there was an injury to Van Dijk and then Matip doesn't recover from the Everton game either so Gomez is our only senior centre-back at that point Fabinho comes in and plays centre-back in his third consecutive game playing centre-back he pulls his hamstring so now Gomez has to play every game and then Gomez gets in, injured on England duty pretty innocuously supposedly on training and one of the the prop Milner last week Milner's plays his third game in a week and the reason why was we needed Milner to play his third game in a week because we didn't yeah. have enough bodies and this is one of the things that happens when you are embroiled in an injury crisis is the spiral that one leads to two, two leads to four and four leads to six. And then suddenly you've got six and everyone's looking at one another at the minute. Genie went out and shattered, you know, last two games against Brighton and I actually been able to see it in his body language last 20 minutes because he's having to play every game. There's, there's no moves for him and the games haven't stopped coming. So I think that it is it is those knock-on effects. And then on top of that, you've got the whole period where there was lockdown and players weren't able to train properly. And then the flip side of that was a really hugely curtailed pre-season. And, and Jurgen Klopp, since the days arrived at Liverpool, literally the days arrived, has talked about the importance of pre-season. And, you know, you've only got to look right the way across the league to see injuries are up for absolutely everybody. And mm. then the next phase of that becomes the arguments around kickoff times, uh, where there is a profound difference between 12.30 and even three and especially 5.30 or seven or eight on a Saturday uh, to do with the importance of sleep within recovery and rest and just what feels like a small margin according to the sports science experts makes a difference. There was a good piece in The Athletic that detailed there are proportionally more injuries in the 12.30 kickoff, more muscle injuries in the 12.30 kickoff than the Premier League average and that's going back across two years. So it has been difficult. Um, It has been difficult but it is worth saying Liverpool have qualified from the Champions League group top. Uh, The the, they are sitting top of the Premier League at this stage. It's only a penalty shootout against Arsenal, which means we haven't got an EFL Cup game, which I suspect the manager's quite pleased about now. But that's the only reason why we haven't got an EFL Cup game coming up as well. We got, we, you know, we were the better side against Arsenal in the EFL Cup, and that went to penalties. So whilst the start hasn't been last season's, it's still been, you know, pretty good despite all the adversity. Yeah, it, it, it's, I guess, in a way, it's sort of hard to 
knock a team and say being joint top after you know mm. ten ga- nine ten games for most teams it you can't knock it but say when you compare it to say winning pretty much every game possible <laughs> yeah. for six months it, 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 it it's it's hard to almost mentally justify and say I, I say that as a Wolves fan and you know we're we're not quite at the same position we were last season but you know people say ah well it's not as good or it's like well it's it's hard to hit that same level week in yeah. week out, and you know with, with Liverpool, you, you're completely right on the kickoff time, especially playing in Europe and the extra travel and what that physically do. You know, I get I get knackered if I want to play a journey for <laughs> if I'm going to go to Europe and I've not spent an hour and a half running around the football pitch. But you know, it's not and it's not even a question with recruitment with Liverpool. So you know, to mirror Wolves, um, you know, when we've had a injury, not quite a crisis so we're without Jimenez now for the foreseeable future we only have one strike we only have one out and out striker who we signed in the summer who's 18 years old who yeah. has lots of potential he did really well on um, against um, Arsenal but what if he gets sent off you know we're, we're left with yeah. trial right up front and you know prior to that we would have had um, potentially Diogo Jota um playing up front for us in, in sort of a false nine way. Um, who, again, Liverpool had seemed to have sort of pulled it off again in terms of their, their recruitment strategy. I mean, I've, I've mar- marvelled at it for years in terms of the approach and essentially, I wouldn't say acquiring the, a player in the worst position in the team, but you look at the Liverpool starting 11 from the outside looking in and, if, again, 26 out of 27 wins, one of the highest record totals in the league last season, um, Champions League the year before that. You know, where do you strengthen? And uh, it would probably be that Firmino position, um, I, I'd argue. And Jota's come in, and I, I, I love Jota. He, he is exactly what you want as a, a, as a fan watching you in terms of what he gives on the pitch, and um, what he did for Wolves at least. But I'm amazed he's hit the ground running as well as he has done at Liverpool. I think, yeah, yeah, really has hit the ground running uh, excellently. I think he's, you know, he's he's managed to to cut. I think one of the things that you miss when you don't watch Liverpool on a regular basis is exactly how much of the of the opposition energy Salah and Mane take up. Mm. And for a while, that was just Salah. And then there was a period where people were trying to stop Salah by stopping Firmino, so Liverpool sort of dealt with that in a way. And what's happened in the meantime is Sadio Mane has become as prolific as anybody else in the team uh, and almost anybody else in the division. So then you've got to stop Mane as well. And what that means is that obviously you've only got so many footballers and there's more room to work in. And I think one of the things that's really benefited Jota is he's, he's been a bit of an unknown quantity. Um in a Liverpool shirt, not full stop, mm. but in a Liverpool shirt. So I think, for instance, Atalanta, I've got a plan, a clear plan. They were following Sadio Mane everywhere. And, and, and whilst they're doing that, Diego Jota's banging a hat-trick. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that is something which I think can happen for sides. And I think it's, you know, I think it's, 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 it's getting the benefit out of that. It's been interesting. It's worth pointing out the flip side of that now is in the last nine, I think between them, Mane and Salah have only got two from open play in the last nine games at all comps from a Liverpool point of view. So they're not quite firing as they were. Uh, Jota's been important in that. And actually, one of the things that has happened, I think, is that Jota being in the squad, but also when he's on the pitch at the same time, I feel as though he's got he's got a bit more out of Firmino. 
And I see Liverpool, I see that four now as, you know, I don't see it. I don't think, I don't think Jota has come in to replace Firmino per se. I think that there's a massive part, especially for this season, of a bit of rotation. But I do think it could be any three that plays at the weekend. And I think it could be any three that plays in the meaningful games that we've got now moving forward. And I think that's a huge compliment, uh, frankly, to Jota. And I think it's exactly what Liverpool wanted uh, because I think that they, they felt they couldn't ask those three just to keep absolutely pounding themselves. Now, the flip side of that is that, you know, we took Salah off at the weekend against Brighton and he was absolutely furious because he wants to be on the pitch. He's, he wants to play. But... That's what I think you'll see from Liverpool. And that's, as I say, it's testament to that player. I think he's been terrific. But I think that it will be three from four pretty regularly from here on in. I think what I sort of found interesting was I had a quick sort of flick through of the um, Liverpool squad. And in a way, I was sort of surprised that Divock Origi's still sort of there. In a way, I thought he sort of quietly sort of, it sounds really bad when I say it. I thought he just moved to like Besiktas. Mm. Um, you know, where, where all sort of players like that go. And, you know, I, I guess... Um, Jota might not necessarily replacing sort of Firmino um, if you know sort of almost last season I was saying those you know those three are your starters unless something happens and I think Jota coming in he plays well you know played predominantly off the left for Wolves and did well playing as a as a two and he's sort of doing almost an in-between part of that and don't get me wrong the amount of space and chances that Liverpool create it, it makes Jota's life a hell of a lot easier um, but I guess it does it sort of I guess sort of signaling out for someone like Divock Origi kind of going forward then because he's not kind of getting any younger I guess. No, I think I think Divock will move on next summer. But then I've been saying that for two or th- possibly three consecutive summers now. Uh, but I think he's he's a footballer where Liverpool are very clear on what the value of him is and they want to have him around. Uh, I think the manager what likes to have the option of Origi either from the start or from the bench in games because you know he's six foot four. He puts himself about. He's very very quick. Um, so he offers something really, you know, re- something really straightforward uh, that football teams need. He's good in front of goal. He's really calm in one-on-one situations uh, and sticks it into the back of the net. Uh, he just can't play Liverpool's fast-flowing football outside of the penalty area. Uh, and that's a bit of a shortcoming, whereas obviously Jota can, to an extent, Minamino can, but he's not as imposing as Origi. Shakiri uh, hung on this season as well, and that's been a massive positive, I think, from a Liverpool point of view. You know, he's when he when we've got him on the pitch, Shakiri, he's looked good. I think there'll always be questions around his his injury record, and we ended up having to send a very good young prospect out on loan because of the players, the senior players we still had in the squad, and Harvey Ellis, who's gone to Blackburn and done well. So I expect Liverpool next summer to for there to be a little bit of an exodus, to be honest with you. I think it will be strange if Shakiri did another year, if we are back to relative post-COVID normality. Uh, it'd be strange if Origi did another year and there'll be a decision to be made on Takumi Minamino in terms of what he does over the course of this season. But Liverpool will still have uh, the three and Jota to work with. Yeah, I think I think that's vitally important. And I, I know we've kind of covered the injury, so to speak, in terms of, sort of who, who's out because... You know, it, it's an extensive list, but how you found sort of some of the young players who have come in? Because, you know, there, there's a bit of a conveyor belt at Liverpool um, at, at the moment of, of good players who are coming in. Uh, you know, Curtis Jones, I've seen sort of a yep. couple of times now, and he's, he, he, he seems to have really sort of stood out. You've got um, uh, Nico um, Williams, Williams as well. And uh, again, sort of Harvey Elliott came from Fulham. I know he's sort of been bounced around on loan now. Um, but, and you know, there's been a few players who've got big moves elsewhere. Uh, which again, I think the recruitment of both sides of what Liverpool's doing, you know, 
it's, it's crazy in terms of the, the fees. But how have you found sort of those players who have kind of stepped up to the mark um, the last couple well, of weeks? You know, just to put it in context, um, you know, Elliot's played nine times for Blackburn. He's got one goal and three assists, and he's only 17. He's getting a game every week as well for them. So he's doing well, um, it's fair to say. And that's that's really pleasing, to be honest with you. Him, him to one side. Jones is now, for me, in that moment that happens with us all for me I'm no a lot of, we, we were doing this thing which I'm sure Wolves uh, supporters have done uh, I'm really impressed with his maturity there was a lot of that mm. going on um, I'm I'm now so impressed with his maturity I'm not going to talk about his maturity anymore he's just a first team player now for Liverpool um, and that's it there's no sort of when will he become a first team player he is just now a member of that first team squad uh, I'd argue we missed him when he didn't start against Brighton he was very good last night against Ajax and he is just in there he wears number 17 he is you know effectively in the sort of in your football manager uh, sort of style uh, movements of players for me he's now just in the squad rotation system he's no longer uh, a hot prospect for the future uh, that's the sort of journey that in my mind he's now gone on um, so he's obviously done ever so well I've, I've mentioned Elliot I think Williams is looks like a young player in the way in which Jones doesn't um, that isn't to criticise him I think he'll be absolutely fine as a squad fullback for Liverpool over a period of time um, I think obviously there's onus on him right now to play and to be able to be part of the squad of the first team set up hopefully he can do that and can you know can can hold that down this season uh, and then get a bit more time next season but one of the issues he has is he gets compared with Trent Alexander-Arnold, who we sort of now forget is a young player, even though he's only 21-22. And the idea is that Nico's meant to come in and be the new Trent, and that's just unreasonable. Trent Alexander-Arnold's one of the best players in Europe. So, you know, Nico was doing all right. Nat Phillips has got a bit of a run. He's 23. I don't think he'll start at the weekend, but he's got a couple of games for the first time at centre-back. I think he's, you know, he's not one for the future, really. I suspect, he, again, he nearly moved on in the summer, uh, and I think he will probably move on at the end of this season. But right now with Liverpool centre-back options, you can get something out of Phillips. He's very good at heading it away. Uh, and in the Premier League, sometimes that's just what you need. Um, he was excellent against West Ham when we beat them. And then the the other younger defender who's who's got himself sometimes a lad called Reese Williams, who was a kid of the last yeah. season. And he looks bright, so he's done well in the Champions League. Um and I, I suspect had Jimenez not had the awful, awful uh, accident, then I suspect that Liverpool, if they weren't going to go for being your matter, which I do think they will, but if they weren't, they'd have been contemplating going for Phillips ahead of Williams, uh, older, better in the air. I suspect, given the fact that Wolves' forward line is likely to be one full of pace, if they had to pick between Reese Williams and uh, Nat Phillips, they will pick Reese Williams now for this one, given the fact that they won't be coming up against the physicality and the ability to dominate centre-halves that you get from from um, from Jimenez. Uh, but I think Liverpool will start with Matip and Fabinho, and I think Liverpool will pick the strongest side they possibly can against Wolverhampton Wanderers. They will not they will take Wolves absolutely deadly seriously. And one of the reasons why I actually think we've done well against Wolves since since they've got into the Premier League is Liverpool are very good at showing the right opponents the right amount of respect. And Liverpool have shown Wolves an unbelievable amount of respect every single time we played them. No, I completely uh, completely agree. I mean we'll we'll come on to the uh, game at weekend um in a in a couple of minutes after the break. But um it's almost been really frustrating, that especially last season, um, the games against Liverpool because they, they were quite close affairs. I think it was only sort of, I think you know, one or two nil uh, or two one defeats. And I looked at it, you know, you can be frustrated, but we lost to a we lost to a better team, and you could see Wolves gave their all and Liverpool gave their all, 
and you go, well, what do we need to do to win? Because I, especially the game at Molyneux, it, it was so frustrating. It's like, we mm. deserve to get something out of it, yeah. but we lost to a better team. And, you know, there's no... It's so hard to justify sometimes as a fan, isn't it? When you kind of go toe to toe to against a better team, and you know it's not like it's not like Wolves. Uh, so I think it's always been interesting to say the, the amount of respect sort of both teams have played, and you know Wolves are quite a defensive-minded team. But actually, you know when they need to push on and you know pull the trigger, they will do. But we'll go through the um, bit of a preview on the Liverpool game right after this. Hi, Richard here. Before you go back to hearing us dissect the latest Wolves news, some really shoehorn Simpsons references, a bit of 90s film action, of course, a bit of wrestling, um, I just want to do a quick shout out for our sponsors, Pixel Yeti Media. Now, they've done a fantastic job on the Wolves Fancast website, wolvesfancast.com, please go check it out. But they're not just web designers, they're a creative agency that cover all your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. There's basically nothing they can't do marketing-wise, so make sure you check them out at pixelyetimedia.com and I'll let you get back to enjoying the show. So, on Sunday, uh, Wolves will be at Anfield for the 7.15 kickoff. Um, it'll be the first time since March um, that fans have actually been allowed in the stadium. Um, with, with sort of where Liverpool sits in the, the wonderful tiered rankings. Um, how do you think the atmosphere will kind of differ? Because it's not a huge amount of fans in what is quite a big stadium. I almost feel like the, the percentage-wise, it's almost better just to have zero in a way. Yeah, I think it's going to be very, really strange. Um, I'm quite... We'll see what we end up with, uh, frankly, um, in terms of the atmosphere. I think I'm not, I haven't, the, the tickets have been done through a lottery uh, basis. I haven't got one. So, and that's fine, by the way. I've, that made me sound like I was quite grumpy about it. I'm not. Um, <laughs> there is, um, there is, there is a, a thing uh, with it where I think it'll be strange and I think it might, I don't think it'll be necessarily a uniform good. And what I mean by that is I don't think all the sides that have got fans back in the stadium will do better. And I also don't think necessarily, player by player, I think it'll have a different emotional reaction. Uh, I don't think it'll be as straightforward as everyone who's got fans in is going to have a bit of an advantage. Uh, I think it'll take a bit of getting used to because these footballers have been in these empty stadia for God knows how long. And I think it will ultimately be, I've, I've watched a couple of Liverpool women's matches um, in, from the press box during lockdown and I would describe the whole experience as really a bit weird. And I think that it will be really a bit weird uh, on on Sunday. Um, I think it will be, you know, it'll be good for there to be some degree of that sort of emotional push and pull uh, for players. But I think that that'll work on both sides. You know, one of the things that some footballers love to find themselves against is away supporters or is the oppositional supporters. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk really about the advantageous thing. I just think it's going to be odd. And I think it's going to be odd for us as viewers as well. Um, and, you know, but hopefully, and let's remember this, what we all want is... We all want to be back in stadium as soon as possible and for those stadia to be full. Um, and between that, the vaccine vaccine news that's come through this morning, between this today, you know, these are baby steps towards what we eventually want. And with a bit of luck by maybe by March, we could be, you know, maybe I'm not entirely sure right now uh, when the return fixture is, but let me be absolutely crystal clear. I would, you know, be overjoyed uh, to shoot along um, to Molyneux uh, for the second half of the season. And there'll be some people who make some noises at that stage about whether or not there's been an advantage 
but you know whether or not Wolves get an advantage because the game in the second half of the season's at Molyneux and the first half of the season's at Anfield, I honestly don't care. I'll have a great time in Molyneux. I've always had a great time in Molyneux. It'll be brilliant. I'd quite like you to find a way to get us all in one stand so we can be a bit closer <laughs> together uh, without it running all the way be along really the Really stretched out, uh, yeah. Yeah, without that. But apart from that, you know, as I say, I'll take... You know, if you offer me now Saturday the 13th of March, Wolverhampton Wanderers away, it'll be a full ground and it'll be the first full ground. Um, I would absolutely bite your hand off um, as long as I was able to get an away ticket and be in that Liverpool end. I think that's it. And, you know, I I, I found it interesting, um, you know, absorbing games sort of on TV, which we kind of do a lot and, you know, understand feeling the atmosphere. And it's different because... You know, I say I'm a season ticket holder. I'm used to going to games week in, week out. But I'm, a, I say, if, particularly for Liverpool, actually, you know, you're you're in a minority if you're actually going to watch games physically. And it's really hard for fans who get to go to games consistently to then just stop completely um, and having to watch it all from home. We've kind of got used to it now, and it is going to be staggered. We all know it's not going to be a flick of a light switch that. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be able to get 30,000 in at Molyneux in the new year, um, e- even when the sort of, um, you know, the tears do change. But, you know, vaccine news is sort of really hopeful, actually, that they say we can kind of move these things forward uh, because it, it's not just, let's say, Wolves and Liverpool. It, it's the teams beneath us oh, who are the ones who, almost, you know, Wolves and Liverpool will be fine, you know, with with our uh, m- many kind of uh, commercial partners kind of going forward. Of He'll um, kind of supply it. But, you know, say we're down the road from the likes of Warsaw, who are probably, been, you know, the ones who are crying out to get most fans Absolutely. in the stadium a, a, bit, a bit more, aren't they? That's absolutely true, but I think there's an emotional thing as well. You know, genuinely, and I'm not asking for, you know, I'm not asking for pity here, but I haven't got to acclaim the champions yet. Like, there hasn't been a point where we've got to call the champions the champions as a collective. And we waited 30 years for that, and we still haven't got to do it yet. We haven't haven't had the parade um, and all of that sort of stuff. So I want Liverpool to be as close to the top as possible when we all get back in, and I want that to be a genuinely sort of emotional moment in exactly the same way that, you know, one of the things I always think, uh, and it's a good, Wolves are a good example, Rich, you know, you've watched a lot of rubbish Wolves teams throughout your time. <laughs> yes. And, yes. you know, there were some seasons where we would have been all right not to be in the ground, both Liverpool and Wolves, whereas, you know, there is this sort of, Right now, this is a Wolves team that's worthy of a claim. That's where Molyneux needs to be full and it needs to have those people and it needs those people to be saying to this Wolves team, you're a great Wolves team and you're a pleasure to watch. So I think that we, rightly, I think you are right to point out the the sort of the financial realities for, for lower division sides and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all over uh, them getting as much support as is humanly possible. And obviously people back on the ground will help them. But for me, the thing that I think we all need, both players and supporters, is that sort of emotional bond to be rekindled. And for us to sort of to get that that moment of you know be able to say we're genuinely proud of you because they've they've persevered through this um, and yes it is just playing football in one sense but they've persevered through this and right now you know you've only got to look at the league table before our game at the weekend and you know you're you're looking at a wolf side that could well be banging the conversation uh, for for top four and if you're banging the conversation for top four let's have a look after twenty games it might be that if you're in it in it after 20 games for yeah. top four, you could this season be in it for top one. And I think that that's something which, you know, 
I am, you know, imagine again, imagine Molyneux in the spring uh, when people are allowed back in and Wolves find themselves sitting in fourth, two points ahead of fifth and six points behind first and exactly how that would feel for, for, for Wolves, Wolverhampton Mondra supporters. It would be, you know, it'd be an absolute boost and you'd want to carry those lads home for the remainder of the season. I think you bang on the money um, with it all, to be honest. And you're right that it, it's a communal feeling, isn't it, being a fan? Yeah. And, and and that's it, you know, <laughs> it's very odd that, uh, you know, that the person I go to get sit with for season tickets is that all of a sudden we've had to very much change the dynamics in our relationship. Yeah. From one way, say, there's a point where we just couldn't talk about football. It wasn't happening. So, yeah. Well, we've got to talk about other stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. But let's say, as I mentioned um, when I was on your show last week, that you can pretty much predict the Wolves starting lineup and how they are going, what formation they're going to play. I guess from Sunday, um, quite a few things have changed. But Wolves lined up with a four-two-three-one, and of course the the Jimenez injury sort of really kind of made a bit of dent into sort of I guess Wolves sort of tactics going forward. So uh, it's going to be interesting to sort of see how Wolves line up whether we can't go back to a back three, which you know hasn't quite been fine on all cylinders um, or whether we feel that we need it to protect Wolves from the, I, I guess, non-slot of the Liverpool kind of attacking game. Um, I, I guess sort of my question to you is, I mean, Wolves did sort of um, really well against Arsenal. Really kind of putting the sword to them, particularly in the first half with, you know, this three behind a striker of Neto, Podence and Traore. Um, I'm always keen to sort of hear this from opposition fans. A, 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 I'm interested to sort of hear your thoughts always about other Wolves players, but your thoughts on Traore, um, because he was someone who was ten- very tentatively linked with Liverpool over the summer. I think he's just obviously so difficult to deal with when he's when he's absolutely on it. Um, you know, I think he's what I think is underrated with him. I think a lot of people view Traore's best work from afar as this idea he picks it up and he drives forty yards, and where I actually think he's at his most unplayable is when he drives ten. So it's when he's around the penalty area and he's just able to stand his man up and just get past him in a way that there's there's you, he can keep the ball far enough away so it can never be reached uh, and he's able to keep it under control and surge forward. I think the stuff when he carries it 40 yards looks great and is obviously hugely beneficial to Wolves. But why I think Liverpool were looking at him was, you know, we play a lot of games of football against sides that sit pretty deep. And I think, you know, I legitimately do think Liverpool might well have been looking at him. And I think that what they would be looking at is what what does it look like if you've got a footballer who, when they sit deep, is able to over and over again beat his man on the outside? What does that look like when that happens? And I think that's sort of the trajectory for, for Traore. And I think it's part of what will be in Nuno's head as he's thinking about this change of shape. Because I think a lot of sides had sort of decided that the way home against Wolves was just to be utterly frustrating. And to say, you make the play, you do it. We'll we'll react to you. Whereas I think a mm. lot when Wolves first come up, people aren't prepared for them, and certainly for the first half of that first season. But I'd say even longer, people had the idea of well, we'll make the play against them, and then all of a sudden Wolves had hurt them. So I think that that's part of what we're what what Liverpool were looking at, and that's what I find most concerned about about Traore is what does it look like when he's around the edge of the box, and I think that's where he could hurt Liverpool this weekend. I think it's where he's hurt us in the past. I think Robertson had a torrid time with him second half at Molyneux uh, back in January. Mm. I thought he had a really really torrid time, and and he said as much afterwards, Robertson. You know, and I think at times he was looking around for a bit of help, uh, and it wasn't quite as forthcoming as he might have liked. So not least because that day Sadio Mane went off injured. So I think I think Liverpool will be conscious 
conscious of them. I think the for me the key question is Liverpool cannot predict this Wolves lineup. I think there's every chance Wolves go back to three at the back, absence of Jimenez playing Liverpool and think let's just see where we are after an hour. There's every chance Wolves play four two three one and go at Liverpool really really dynamic. There's every chance it becomes more of a four three three, and I think that from a Liverpool point of view, two months ago the thing they would have said was, well, we know what Wolves are going to do. Yeah. And right now exactly. that's completely gone. We do, we've got no sense of what Wolves are going to do before this game on Sunday. None whatsoever. I was going to say, like for me, and I, I watch sort of a lot of American football, you know, they talk about game plans a lot. And I wouldn't say it's easy to game plan against Wolves because we are a very good team and they can do a couple of little things very subtly to shift it. But now we've almost got, two different plans in terms of how we line up and it's pretty much worked successfully in the last two games we got a draw against Southampton playing four at the back without Connor Cody for the first time in a thousand years and then we beat Arsenal who've not beat away from home in 13 I think it was 39 years or something um, crazy and again we fought at the back and go well we know we can do both systems we know we can give Liverpool a good game when we're on form and I think it's a really interesting chess match, especially with, I say, the injuries that's impacting Liverpool. How will that change how they play compared to, I guess, the injuries to Wolves and how that will make them play as well? So I think it's both teams. It's going to be a real kind of, um, you know, standoff, I guess, between, you know, do, do Liverpool really try and push forward and, you know, try and stretch Wolves, especially if they're playing for the back for, you know, again, appreciate sort of only a third game. But knowing that there are probably weaknesses at the back without Van Dijk, without Gomez, without Allison as well, um, I think I think it's going to be a really interesting sort of tactical duel. No, I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be a really good game of football, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be tense. I genuinely do feel our next two home games. So we've got Wolves and then we've got Tottenham uh, in the midweek mm. game in a couple of weeks. And we've got this unbelievably impressive unbeaten run at home. And I do think it's the, it's the most at threat in the next two games as it will be uh, across. Uh, arguably, I, I think if we basically, I, I think if we get through those two games unscathed, I think we'll end the season uh, still unbeaten at home. That run will continue, but... I do believe that the Wolves game and the Tottenham game, both of them with the current injury crisis that we've got, but also in general, the nature of the sort of sides Wolves and Tottenham are, yeah. they're more than capable of getting more than capable of getting results against Liverpool at full strength. I've seen enough to be able to say that, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm of the view it'll be such a difficult game, and it will. It wouldn't surprise me if aspects of it are a little cagey. The one thing that's to our advantage that we haven't had for a while is we've actually got a decent rest running into it, and we're yeah. not that bothered by the game that follows because we're through now on top of the group in Europe. So I think that that frees Liverpool up a little bit to be able to commit to 90 minutes of football in a way that they haven't been able to in any game uh, across the last few weeks. So I think that that's a good thing from a Liverpool point of view. Um, so I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool pick the team they pick against Wolves and then there's 11 changes uh, for the game in, in Europe the following midweek. So I think that that, that and, and a lot of the players don't even travel. So I think a lot of that is is a real possibility for Liverpool. I think he'll end up doing something along the lines of, I think it will be Kelleher in goal, just. Um, I think he might have thought a little differently had uh, Jimenez been fit. Again, the idea of a goalkeeper who needs to be more dealing with crosses, uh, so he might have gone with Adrian. Uh, But presuming there's no Becker, I think it will be Kelleher in goal. I think he'll go, obviously, Robertson left-back. I think there'll be part of that I want to play Fabinho in the heart of the midfield. Um, But... I think he'll ultimately decide he'll go Matip and Fabinho as his best centre-back partnership that he's currently got available. 
he'll go Henderson, uh, Wijnaldum, and I think Curtis Jones will play again in the middle of the park. Um, okay. uh, so I think he'll go with, the, with that midfield three. And then I actually don't think Jota will start for all the talk. Uh, I think he'll go Salamani and Firmino uh, for this one, and, and and he'll be pleased to have the sub. And Jota will definitely come on on 60, uh, and it'll be for any of the front three or for a midfielder, but I think he'll be pleased to have the sub uh, for this one. That's what I think. I mean, it's difficult to predict Klopp at the minute, and I think it'll be uh, Nico Williams at right back, and I think that that'll prove to be the area that Wolves look to target. Uh, but I do think he will just about start Williams at right back unless he can get Milner fit. I think if Milner is fit enough to start, he will start right back uh, from a Liverpool yeah. point of view. I mean, I think if, if you've got an injury crisis, I'm all, yeah, I'd always start Milner almost whatever because of his versatility, what yeah. he brings. And, you know, if a phrase can do a job, there's probably not many players who can do a job to his level across, what, five areas of a football pitch. And, you know, what, what he brings to a team, I, I, I love James Milner as a player and have them for well basically about 15 years now but <laughs> um I say I think what one thing we can definitely be certain of um whether Jota starts or comes off the bench is that you know football cliches will dictate he will score against Wolves um because it, it's what happens doesn't it um whether he does a non-celebration celebration will be up for uh, up for grabs I guess though um, in terms of sort of a wall scene from yourself, who who are you sort of interested to kind of keep your eye on, especially oh. I guess without Jimenez sort of being there? I know we've spoken about him before, and you know he's a lights out proper number nine striker, but without him, sort of who who kind of stands out for yourself? I'm there's very few uh, Wolves players I'm not genuinely interested in, and that's not me just sort of playing for time. I, I'm interested to see how Bowley get, goes in a back four. Uh, if that's if we're going to get to see that this week, uh, I'm very very interested in that. Um, that is one where I'd like to see sort of what it looks like for him and how he enjoys it. And I think the same can be said to an extent um, around um, around Cody as well. I think they end up uh, being put under a, a lot of pressure um, these footballers, and I think that they may well be able to find a way through. Um, but if it is a back four, I would feel as though there's the possibility they could find themselves a little exposed. I was, I'm intrigued to see how Markal gets on. Um, I think Semedo is a very good player. Markal comes from Leon uh, with a, an ability to play left hand side at centre half, back uh, left back, or left hand side at wing back. Um, I think he he looks like he could be a really promising addition for this Wolves side. Uh, and then in the middle of the park, I was especially impressed with Matinho last twenty minutes against Southampton. It felt yeah. like to me he found an extra gear for the first time in a while. Whenever I've caught them, he began to look his age a tiny little bit, and it was almost like he thought, "No, I've had enough of this. Absolutely had enough of this. Watch me go." Um, and I was, um, I was, I was really impressed with him there. And I think if he can be the driving force that Wolves sort of need him to be, then I think you, you know, we're talking about a Wolves side that's more than capable of 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 still being there or thereabouts in the next phase with Matinho as well. Is that a set pieces of the absolute business? Yeah, I think uh, with Matinho, I mean, my, my kind of pre-season prediction is he'd be phased out for starting lineup by the end of the season, and that about sort of partly because of his form at the back end of last season combined with the form of Neves as well. And there's always been a bit of a master and the apprentice with both of them in a way, yeah. but they, they can just about play together, but it doesn't quite, they, they don't have relatively similar styles and sit in the same areas of the pitch. But against Southampton, again, he, he had a good game and there was just that point in the second half where it was that little bit of movement, that direct forward pass to kind of help create the goal that we missed 
that we've been missing, to be honest. And that um, sort of assertiveness. And then against Arsenal, it was, it was back to his best in terms of the way he can kind of conduct himself on the pitch. You know, for someone who's five foot seven, he doesn't miss a ball in the air. And it's because he just knows his way around the football pitch and knows exactly what he's doing and what he brings to a team. It's something else, um, in, in my opinion. But I guess we'll wrap it up there. But before we go, let's have a score prediction. Uh, um, I, th- I feel genuinely as though all three outcomes in the football match are almost 33% each. And it's been a long time since I thought that going into a game in Anfield. But I think we are relatively close to that, to be honest with you. I will just err on the side of Liverpool to squeak it 2-1. And for you all on the fan cast to be just yet again ruining that the opportunity was there and you weren't quite able to take it. A, a game that, that flows like the one in Molyneux in January where Liverpool get an early goal, start relatively strong. Wolves come into a big-time second half and Liverpool either hang on for dear life or nick one. Genuinely wouldn't surprise me. And I think Liverpool are in for 90 minutes of sheer hell uh, on Sunday against Wolves. Uh, but I think they can just get the results. No, I think I think that's sort of a, a fair and honest assessment, to be fair. And I think, um, you know... What I've been doing with fancast for about five, six odd years now, I don't think I've ever predicted us to lose, Um, and I won't do on this one. So I'm going to go never. I'm going to go exactly. I'm going to go for an optimistic one-one draw for sort of again same reasons that I think I said before. I can never sort of really see Wolves losing under Nuno because we can just sort of really turn it on defensively. But whether we'll have that extra gear, um, especially without Jimenez, like extra clinical nature that he can just bring a goal out of nothing. It might be a real um, breakthrough moment for Fabio Silva, who, again, he's only, nine, he's only 18, 19. He came for a lot of money, but he did really well against Arsenal. Whether he can, again, a bit of an unknown quantity against, um, you know, different opposition, see what he does. But we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Neil, thank you very much for joining us uh, this week. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to catch up after the game on Sunday. Excellent stuff. And that's a wrap on today's show. Big thanks once again to Neil from the Anfield Wrap for joining us. Um, And big thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Pixel Yeti Media. For any of your website needs or marketing needs, feel free to check them out on pixelyetimedia.com. To keep up with all things Wolves and Wolves Fancast, go over to our social media pages. Uh, We are running throughout December our Fancast Advent, where we're doing a guest for player each day. Uh, Make sure you check out our YouTube channel. We've got some great... Uh, videos up and running at the moment from Goody's Tactical Analysis to Dan's FIFA Greet as well as post-match reactions from fans. Um, Great to have you all join us once again and we look forward to catching you after the Liverpool game. (laughs) 